we thank you for your faithfulness, how we have been led through worship this afternoon, that you have not just prepared us for a main meal. Uh, Father, we recognize that all of worship is our main meal. You have called us to be engaged called us uh, to walk uh, in a spirit of graciousness, in a spirit of receptivity. So, Father, as has been our prayer just throughout this afternoon, Lord God, we're praying for any hindrance that may be in the way of us hearing your word, Lord God, that you will remove it any prejudice in our minds, any lack of whatever, anticipating whatever. God, indeed, that the meal that you have uh, prepared for us now is the meal that you have prepared for us. Because you've already gone to prepare a place for us, a table in the presence of our enemies. Let us uh, just hold our hands up and like a beggar begging for bread. Uh, we say, Father, whatever you give us, we receive with a spirit of thankfulness. And as we receive your word, I pray that the shackles would come loose. I pray, Lord God, that uh, anything that may have had us bound, that there would be loosed in Jesus' name. So free us uh, that as we again walk into your presence uh, to hear your voice and what you have to tell us this afternoon, that again that we receive it with graciousness and also with thanksgiving. Have your way in our hearts. And again, may we not walk out of this place the same way we came into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to the book of 1 John? The book of 1 John. The epistle. John, which is different from the gospel of John. Amen? 1 John, chapter 1. And I will begin reading in one moment. Well, if you look around today, oftentimes there is much confusion and conflicting information about what we hear about Jesus Christ and even his church. There's all types of folks claiming to be, we are church. Uh, folks saying, we are church. But sometimes what 
uh, people claim to uh, describe as being a church is nothing like what we have imagined in our mind. In a conversation I had just the other day, downtown, I had a conversation with a couple of uh, bow-tie-wearing young men. I'll put it to you like that. And the young men, they asked me uh, if I was interested in purchasing uh, a newspaper from them. Well, I quickly told these uh, bow-tie-wearing young men, uh, no, I was not interested in purchasing a newspaper from you. But then again, like most of you, knowing what I know about these young men, I quickly asked them a question. Uh, what about Jesus Christ? Well, they responded to me very quickly and with passion. And they told me, we love Jesus. <laughs> and I know some of us, we probably would have heard that and may have said, well, amen, and uh, where do you go to church at? But you know I know better, and so should you. And I knew that uh, the Jesus that they were talking about was not the same Jesus I was talking about. So I began uh, to enter into more of the conversation with clarifying statements. And I knew that my time was limited, so I just went straight forward. And I said, well, the Jesus I'm talking about uh, says that there's only one way to get to heaven because Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, God sent him because he is God. These two young, bow-tie-wearing young men then exclaimed to me, Well, all right, brother, well, you have a good day. And they began to walk away. The confusion that exists in the world about Jesus, however, is not merely about what others who are outside of the church say about what happens inside of the church. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that there are many people who uh, say that they belong to Jesus Christ that because of many of them offer much confusion about Jesus himself and also the church? One of the reasons this is such a problem because there is a vacuum of teaching that exists within the church, a lack of teaching in which uh, there never comes a time in which uh, a leader may teach or preach about Jesus Christ or who he is. Well, on the other hand, as you know, it's not always the preacher's fault, amen, that sometimes it's, it's your fault. I'll just say it. It's your fault. Why? Why is it our fault? Uh, because oftentimes we do not uh, crack open the word of God for ourselves uh, to study these things to see if they are true. We just take some man's word for it. Well, what if they're wrong? Well, there's many that have been wrong over and over again. 
and have led many folks to their death or many folks down the path uh, that is very difficult to recover from. So it is important that if you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you must know what he says and you must know what Jesus Christ is about. It is not enough simply to walk in and just uh, hear someone talk all the time, that you must open up the word of God. That is what he's saying. Is that true? As I've said to you before, uh, I promise you I will never, ever, ever, ever get upset with you if I quote a scripture and you're sitting next to me and you open up your Bible. It won't offend me. It's not going to offend me. Please, as a matter of fact, open up as many Bibles as, as you desire because we have to get it for ourselves. Amen? Uh, we just simply can't take it. I mean, it will be good to know that what everybody says is true, but we know we've been around the block long enough, amen? So part of our difficulty uh, in this life is not really knowing who this real Jesus is. And then on the other hand, the other thing that we uh, have difficulty with is our walk. There's tons of people, again, who walk the walk, but their talk is, uh, who talk to talk, but their walk is just all jacked up. They say that they love uh, Jesus Christ, and then when you look at their life and you look at some of the things that they're doing and some of the things that you're saying, and then you really wonder, do they really love Jesus Christ? It would be best for some people just don't even talk about Jesus Christ. But also within that whole realm, it concerns uh, our practice of our faith and how we deal with one another, specifically with our love. Uh, today begins a series in that we're going to talk about two very important things. Number one, we're going to talk about uh, very intensely, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, it may not give you uh, the chill bumps, right? It may not cause you to weep in your seat or get up and say, well, amen, uh, even though it should. But it's going to talk about who this person of Jesus Christ is. Uh, John, he's going to talk about how we should respond to one another in love as brothers and sisters as well. So we're going to walk through the entire book of First John. Put your seatbelt on. Sit back. Relax. And study to show yourself approved. First John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The connection with Jesus Christ. The connection with Jesus Christ. The apostle John, he begins this epistle by saying this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Uh, he goes on in verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
So going back to verse 1, the Apostle John, he speaks about Jesus, and he, in essence, says, Jesus is as real as it gets. Jesus is as real as it gets. John begins this letter with a bombardment of information about his firsthand experience with that which was. You see that? How can you begin a sentence with that which was? It seems that, uh, that John, he begins this uh, with the assumption that there's some information that we already know. And if you are reading this epistle for the first time, you may not know anything. Well, uh, in, in the original language, there's certain ways of writing things. And in this case, that which was, it's not necessarily pointing to which what happened previously, but it is pointing to what's about to be said. So at the end of this verse, we clearly read the word of life. Uh, some of your Bibles may translate uh, this as word of life, uh, small w and small l. But some of your verses, some of your Bibles may translate this as uh, capital L and also capital W, capital W and capital L. In other words, uh, this words of life could refer to the actual words that come out of someone's life or it could refer to capital W, capital L, to an actual person, in this case, the deity of Jesus Christ, who is God. Well, which one does it refer to? Does it refer to actual words, or does it refer to an actual person? Well, it refers to both. It refers to the good news of Jesus Christ. It refers to the good news about Jesus Christ. But it also refers to Jesus Christ as the Logos, as uh, the word. Uh, you, you see, back in ancient times, uh, the, the Greeks be, be, believed that uh, the way that life began, that it was all organized by some magical power, right? That there was organization, and this happened here, and this happened here, uh, because of some uh, greatness of mind that was nondescript, that it didn't have a definition of who uh, this great mind was. And then the same Apostle John, he comes along now in the Gospel of John and says what? In Archaean Halagos, he says, in the beginning was what? So here he goes again. In the beginning was the Word. So the Apostle John, he comes into the midst of Greek culture. He says, now, you guys have been out there playing around talking about uh, this universalism type of thinking, but I'm telling you, this is not a universal type of thinking uh, that this Logos has a name. This Logos is a person. John says, continuing in uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John, he defines who this Lagos is, and not some existential type of mist that exists out here in the land of the abyss, in the land of nothingness. John was saying, no, 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 no. It's not just some Lagos that we can't know. John says that this Lagos is Theos. 
This logos is God. Uh, how can God be with himself? How can God be next to himself? Johnny goes on to say in John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, that this word, it became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. So John, he now defines this uh, existential uh, universal logos as being God, and more specifically, not only as God, but as Jesus Christ. So now we run here to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And now he speaks to believers about the Logos of Zoe. The Logos of life, he says. So owe it now to John's point. Verse 1 tells us that John had first experience with this Logos. John says that, you know, I, I just didn't read about this Logos in the books. John says that we didn't just uh, sit around in some uh, uh, get-happy group with donuts and, and Kool-Aid and talk about what does it mean to be uh, the existential idea of this greatness who organized and arranged all of humanity and all of the planets. No, John didn't say that. John says that which was from the beginning. He says, which we have heard... He says, which we have seen, right? And he goes on to say, why do you have to say which we have seen? He goes on to say, with our eyes. When you tell someone that I have seen someone, it is automatically assumed that you saw somebody with your... So we don't need to add the word with our eyes eyes because it's common sense but the apostle john is saying i want to make sure you get this right i want to make sure that there is no mistake uh, that uh, this word in which we have heard about we have also seen this word this logos with our own eyeballs John says, I have heard him. He says, I have seen him. John says, I have touched this Logos for myself. This personal experience with Jesus Christ, John says, is unlike any other personal experience I have ever had in my life. And I'm here to tell you and testify about this Jesus Christ, about this word. But looking at verse 1 again, we have to look at this other thing, right? In verse 1, John says that not only did he hear, not only did he see him with his eyes, but look at this. He says he also, uh, you see it for yourself. Take a look. He did what? Looked, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He says that I saw him. And then he says, I saw him with my own eyeballs. And now he says, I have looked on him. Well, 
we can easily say, well, maybe this is, is, is John's emphatic way of emphasizing that I was there, I was there, I was there, and I was there, and can't nobody take that away from me. Amen? Why does it seem as if he's now repeating himself again? Well, really, in the original language, these are different words. And when John says that they have looked upon him, what it is truly saying in original language, he's saying that not only did I see this Jesus with my eyeballs, not only did I, did I look at him with my eyeballs, he says that I watched Jesus like a hawk. I watched everything that he did, everywhere he went, all the stuff. I mean, I watched him. It's almost like he was saying, I wanted to make sure that this guy was not some kind of magician playing tricks on me. So in other words, John was saying that I watched this Jesus Christ, uh, this word of life, I watched him like a hawk to make sure that he wasn't going to uh, slip something on me. It's almost like saying uh, that he watched him. He watched him. He watched him, uh, making sure uh, that there's nothing other stuff going on, there weren't other people around him uh, trying to, uh, to, to, to pull this game on him. Here's an example. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Really important. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he, this is Jesus Christ, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face, this is Jesus' face now, right? Not the face of John. This is the face of Jesus. His face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. So, so John was saying that uh, not only were they watching him, but John was saying also I was part of his inner circle. I seen all this stuff when Jesus was glowing like a light bulb. I was there when Peter said, let us go ahead and make altars to Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. I was there when all this stuff happened. I was in the midst of this. But going on in this passage back to 1 John, there's one thing that we can't miss here at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we uh, looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Uh, you notice the pronoun that he's using, that he's not saying I, he's saying what? He's saying we and our. Uh, did you get that? And if you missed that, uh, even if you got it, circle it in your Bibles. Don't be afraid. God is not going to strike you dead. Circle those words in your Bible. John says that uh, it wasn't just my testimony, but it was a testimony of many others that was with me. And all of us stood there. All of us heard Jesus. We touched Jesus for ourselves, uh, that it was not some kind of trick that was played upon me, that it was the real Jesus. Uh, John is saying it is him that we're talking about right now. It is this Jesus that we're going to talk about right now. 
It's very interesting uh, as I have these discussions and even as I uh, prepare for my message, I had another discussion with a separate person this past week as well. And uh, they happened to hear me speak this past week and the individual, they came to me and uh, they, they said, well, did you know, right? When I said, did you know, I'm like, oh boy, here we go again, right? Uh, did you know that there's many scholars that disagree about the, the written testimony of, of the Bible? Did you know that there's many scholars that disagree even about the interpretation of a particular passage of Scripture? And I just put a smile on my face. I wish, I wish Elder Swan was there with me because we really would have had a good, really good, just a knee-slapping good time. Uh, so with a smile on my face, I looked at him. And then I wiped the smile off of my face, and I explained to him, it's very interesting how people, uh, that they are more interested in believing the works of Aristotle. How uh, they believe the works of, uh, uh, as they say, one movie, Socrates, uh, Socrates, without question, said that these men, men existed based on their works and the testimonies of others who were around them. For that matter, that uh, even Shakespeare, that he was a man that existed because of his works. And as I explained this to this, uh, uh, this gentleman respectfully, I asked him the question, I said, did you not know uh, that the testimony, uh, the word of God that we actually have is 10, 20 times better than that of Socrates? Did you not realize that it's 100 times better than Aristotle? Did you not realize it's even better than Shakespeare? But yet somehow people are more willing to believe Aristotle, Socrates, and Shakespeare than Jesus Christ. I said, why? I said, because you really don't want to believe what he says. And then finally I said, you know, uh, the problem that people have, it ain't with me. It ain't even with what I have to say. The problem that people have, they have with God. And that one day they will have to stand before God because of their refusal to listen to his word. On that note, the conversation became silence and it ended. For all of us, the problem that people have is not with you. When you try to share Jesus Christ or the grace or the mercy that God has upon their life, and they don't want to hear what you have to say. The problem is not with you that they're having. The problem that they're having is with God himself. Many don't want to accept him. They try to explain Jesus away, while others just want to continue immoral living without any type of interference. You can't tell me what to do. How dare you? But what we can and can't do is not based on a set of rules, but based on our identity as God's people. Uh, you always notice in Scripture that God, he tells us what to do, uh, but it, it comes after the fact of how he identifies with us first. That you are a royal priesthood, but you are to be holy as God is holy. Right? Uh, so he identifies us as his children and then say, if you are my child, you're supposed to act a certain way. Right? I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, boy, when my kids, when they don't act like they daddy don't want them to act, man, I get mad. That just, that just eats me up. 
It eats me up. I don't always tell them sometimes I do, but it eats me up. Why? Because here you walking around and you're carrying my name and you're acting like a fool. As I've told many of my students over many years, you know, when they don't do what I tell them to do in their, uh, when I teach them, I tell them, tell you what, you don't do what I tell you to do, don't let anybody know that I'm your teacher. Right? Because you know, you know how it goes, because they don't do what they're supposed to do. Oh, yeah, I study with so-and-so. No, don't mention me, because I'm going to play like I don't know you. Same thing with our children, and God calls us to this as well, that God, he calls us that if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you need to act like Jesus Christ. Moving on to verse 2. John, he says that there is a need for people to know the eternal life. He says, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, made obvious to us. So in other words, uh, John was saying, now we as believers have a purpose, that you have a purpose in your existence on this earth. Uh, you may not want it, but God has given it to you. Number one, he's called you to worship him. Number one. But number two, he's also called you to uh, tell others about Jesus Christ at the same time. You know, one of the difficulties that many people experience in this life is that lack or that sense of purpose. Uh, young adults spend their college days rambling around the university, spending money, spending their money, spending their parents' money on degree programs, not knowing what they want to do with their lives. Others ramble through life day by day, not understanding why God has them on this planet. And instead of trying to seek out the face of God, they said, life is simply just not worth living. They want to try every option except, see, what, I wonder what God is saying to me. They want to ramble around this life like hobos. Instead of getting to God, just asking God the simple question, what do you require of me, Lord? Many will eventually get to that place while others, ruling out all possibilities, meander on like a ship without a sail, like a car without an engine, and like a house without a family. Disciples of Jesus Christ are ordained as ministers to proclaim the message of good news, the euangelion, which entails eternal life. You see, if you have not found your place in the church, then it should be obvious to you that you have been called to testify and tell others about Jesus Christ. What are you doing? Recall again Jesus' message and what is deemed as the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Verse 15, in his prayer, Jesus says this, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You get it? Again, this is, not, this is the reason why Jesus doesn't whisk us away to heaven after we've been saved. When we finally say to Jesus, I do and I will, Jesus doesn't just grab us and take us away like Elijah went in, in a chariot of fire into heaven. It doesn't happen that he keeps us here. Why? Because we become uh, the testimony, we become his witness to a dying world. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Exodus 
chapter 19, verse 6. Really important. This is now uh, God I'm, I'm in the middle of the verse, kind of, uh, beginning, middle of the verse. Uh, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. He says this, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I need for you to think about that for one moment. What does a priest do? What exactly does a priest do? Right? A priest kind of intercedes for people to God. Amen? You know, the prophet is a prophet. He speaks on behalf of, of God to people. But a priest, he kind of intercedes on behalf of people to God. But ultimately, their goal is simply to say, here's God. Right? This is the purpose of a priest, to say, here's God. Here's God. Here's God. You got a trouble? You got a problem? Here's God. This is the way you do it. Here's his word. This is what he requires of Here's God. Here's his word. Here's God. This is what the priest should do. Always. So God, he set up the nation of Israel as a kingdom of priests. You get it? That they were supposed to go and preach the good news about Yahweh to the rest of the world. You, you, you see that? Peter, he goes on to tell us in the New Testament that those who follow Jesus Christ as his disciples, that you are a royal what? Priesthood. Why? Because we will spend our time ministering on behalf of people, you know, to God, appointing them to God in the same way. And for Israel, they missed the boat. They got wrapped up in all of what the world was doing and, 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 and instead of sanctifying themselves before God, consecrating them before themselves before the Lord. God created the human race for his good pleasure and not its total demise. God loves people, but God hates sin. So the word, the logos, Jesus Christ, is of eternal significance. So he deals with the eternality of Jesus Christ. So the reason for you to know, uh, verse 3 and verse 4, please. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy or your joy, may be complete. So the reason for you to know, number one, is that you may have real fellowship with his disciples. <laughs> you see that? He says, for you to have, for us to have real fellowship uh, with his disciples. How many of you have heard uh, the term food, fun, and fellowship? Have you heard that before? Right? And, and if you've heard that term, uh, typically you've heard that term in the context of where? The, the, the what? The church, Right? Food, fun, and, sh and, and fellowship. And typically, food, fun, and fellowship, when we think about fellowship, we think about what? What do we think about? Come on. Coming together and typically what? Talking and a lot of times eating, right? Yeah. It's typically a phrase many churches use in order to attract the non-churched. 
So in our minds, when we hear the word fellowship, uh, oftentimes in the back of our minds, we say, ooh, that's going to be food. But the question is, is this what Jesus had in mind when he, when he inspired John to write this word uh, concerning the word fellowship? Look at that. Look at verse 3. Could it be possible that what he had in mind was food? You see, the heart of fellowship is not the food for our bellies, but the bread for our life. Jesus is the bread of life who satisfies our every need because of the things we are, uh, and, and we should not be fixated on this earth with. Because all the things on this earth will one day cease and come to an end. Our time of fellowship should consist of talking about the goodness of God and what he's done for us. We need to talk about how great he is and about his love and patience with us as we walked or used to walk aimlessly on this earth. But the important element is that we gather and we talk about these things. People that say, I don't need to go to church or you are lying, you don't know scripture. When we come together, it is not a time to hop on how bad things are going to be for you. You know, some folks, they never have any good news. They never have any good news. Nothing ever good ever happens to them. They only have bad news and worse news. And then you know what we do. We just avoid them like a plague. Now, i, I got to say this now. So if I ask you how you're doing, I'll say, oh, everything is fine. And you know things about to fall apart when you get home. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff now. I'm just talking about your day-to-day -day life. Hasn't Jesus ever done anything good for you? Ever? Ever? In fact, what I would like for all of us to do this week Every day, I want you to uh, have a, your personal journal and just write down all the things good that Jesus has done for you. Amen. So next week when you come to church, somebody asks you, uh, how are you doing? You say, well, I could be better, but look at what Jesus has done for me. Make sure you start off with your salvation. So also, John says, the reason for you to know is that you would have fellowship with the Lord, and this is indeed the most important thing. Our fellowship is not just focused solely on one another, but also with the Lord as well. He wants us to come to Jesus Christ, to know him, and to be engrossed in his personhood. And then finally he says, so that disciples may be full of joy. As I've said before, I've said many times before, when I leave this place, I want to leave as many people as possible as possible who are more passionate about Jesus Christ than I possibly could have happened if I didn't know him myself as his leader. So in other words, what I'm saying is that I'm praying that as many people can get to heaven because I existed, this is my passion in life. All the other stuff is good, but I want to see you come to Jesus Christ. I want to see you know Jesus Christ or to be drawn closer to him because this ministry exists. This should also be your goal in life as well. And this is what exactly John was speaking of at the heart of the matter. All disciples should be like this. Your growth and your stability in the faith produces great joy for me. I want you to know this. 
if you're no different a year from now than you were uh, than you were now, uh, when I look at you in 2015, then I'm thinking something is wrong. It's not enough to be solely focused on your own children, and that's good. It's not enough to be focused solely on your biological family. We're all called to make disciples of all nations. So John sets forth a testimony which introduces us to the real Jesus, who in turn allows us to be in real fellowship with one another that produces real joy in the heart of all of his disciples. Let's pray.